Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. I'm so excited this week to be talking about the brain, the brain and the mind, and just how our brains work and how to change them, how to change the way we think, how to change us and how that affects our health and all of those things. You know, as you know, I very much enjoy nerding out on science and research. So this week I brought on Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a cognitive neuroscientist who just, I mean, she studies all of this delicious stuff. You know, this is so much of the work that we have to do, right? Is getting aware of the thoughts that we have around relationship, the automated reactions we have that get in the way of connection. And all of us have these things that we're working on or not working on, but exist. These things that get in the way of love, that get in the way of connection in any context. It doesn't have to be romantic relationships. It can be any relationships, our reactivity at work, our, and we have all these biases and how they affect us and being able to understand our mind and how it works and how those things correlate to our health, not just relationally, but our physiology is so important. And this work is important. And so I'm really very pumped to be able to share this week's episode with you. Before we get started, please, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe to it, give it a written review and a five-star review, and please share the episode. Imagine what it could do for someone else that you share it with. All right. Hot off the press. I got to tell you, Organifi has a new blend and it is chocolatey delicious. It's called Harmony and it is made for healthy hormones. It's designed for women. So it combines superfoods and adaptogens that have been used for centuries to support inner balance and bliss. With the ladies in mind, this blend is designed so you can feel your best and experience daily harmony. It's plant-based, it's gluten-free, it's vegan, it's dairy-free, it's soy-free, it's got cacao, maca, shatavari, stinging nettle, ginger, turmeric, coconut milk, chaste tree. I mean, it sounds delicious. It is delicious. I've tasted it. It's chocolatey delicious, so you can't go wrong. And it's designed for healthy hormones to use during your menstrual cycle. So there you go. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love to save 20% and get free shipping. And that is special to create the lovers on top of the 20%. So go to Organifi.com slash create the love. So without further ado, here is Dr. Caroline Leaf. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. Today I have Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a cognitive neuroscientist. So, well, first off, welcome. Thank you. So good to talk to you again. You and I had a whole discussion already. <laughs> yeah, I had, we right before we hit record, but yeah. we've, I've also had the honor of being on your podcast. And yes. uh, we just had such a wonderful discussion that I thought my listeners could really benefit from your view and your research and all the things on the brain and change. And so first off, let's, let's tell people what is a cognitive neuroscientist. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm also a communication pathologist. And what all that means is in English, simple English, is that I study the mind-brain connection. So instead of just looking at pure neuroscience, looks at just the brain, and it's very neurocentric. So it's like brain, brain, brain. Whereas cognitive neuroscience brings in a lot more of the thinking behind it. And then communication pathology really drives dives deep into, if you look at a person's external communication, their behaviors, uh, very much your area of expertise as well. What are they doing with their life? And then tracking that back to the thoughts behind that and then to what's happening in the brain behind that. So it's a complex combination of 
fields and took years and years of study and I developed theories on mind and non-conscious mind, conscious mind, subconscious mind and work around memory development and how memory forms in the brain. So pretty much looking at the whole mind-brain connection. And it's been almost 38 years now that I've been in the field. Still do research, still do clinical trials and write lots of books. I've just written my 18th book. I just submitted my 18th book manuscript a week ago. So yeah. So writing books has now become, yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Writing books has now become a, just like a regular thing for you. I swings like literally from one book into the next. So it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's hard though. Book writing books is, it's easier to write, write a published paper. It's easier to, for a journal to write a, a, just because of the language, but to make science concepts, you know, simple and accessible, that's quite, quite a challenge. Well, and your ability to take like how the mind works, how thinking works, how those merge and make it something that's consumable for the everyday person to say, how does this relate to me? Because so often that's, there's not, there isn't often a bridge between the academic and the everyday person. So curious, where would someone listening need to sort of begin in, in this journey to understand how they might benefit from learning about these things? That's a good question because it is people can read a lot about neuroscience and brain and then there's tons on psychology, you know, these and as you say, the world's there's a little bit of crossover, but the crossover, if you see it, it's still very neurocentric. It's still very focused on brain, 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 brain made you do it, which is the current narrative. And it's just such a wrong narrative and it's an unscientific narrative. So the easiest what I've tried to do with my work and books and things and podcasts and everything that I do is to try and bridge that gap, as you say, and to try and make it simple and easy. So the easiest place to start is, can I use visuals? Is that okay? Well, we're not recording a video, but okay. I can okay. tell the people there was a brain in front There's of There's a brain. Okay. I just <laughs> held up a brain. Here we go. I held up a brain in a skull. There you go. Anyway, yeah. so basically you you are not your brain. You would, The current narrative is very much focused around um, brain. And whereas you are not your brain, you're, if you did, your brain does nothing. So basically what's actually happening is that your mind is separate from your brain, but it's inseparable. So they definitely two distinct things, but they can't work without each other. And this mm. debate's been going on for years and years and years, and they've made this debate um, too complicated. It's actually really simple. If you think of it logically, if you're dead, your brain, it's not going to do anything. But you're alive, your brain is constantly responding. And we know from most people have got a fairly good understanding that your brain is a powerful organ and that it controls the rest of your body. So when it comes to mind and brain and the mind-brain connection, mind can be defined as how you think and feel and choose. And it's really important that you see those as, as a group, as a as a triad. When you, when, you, when you think, you will feel. And when you think and feel, you will choose. So that's mind. And mind is always in action. You're always thinking, feeling, choosing. You do this on a conscious level. You're aware of it around about every 10 seconds. But on a non-conscious level, your thinking, feeling, and choosing is happening at about 400 billion actions per second. So it's pretty fast. And that's generating – it's, it's, gener- it's a lot. And it's generating a ton of energy. And that energy is what your brain picks up. So when you like now, right now, people are listening to us and that's these, they're hearing words and they are making sense of the words and how it's with their thinking, feeling and choosing. How do you make sense of what you're hearing with your mind? What is your mind doing to make sense of what you're hearing? It's how you think, feel and choose about what you're hearing. So you're processing it super fast. When I say processing, you literally take those words into your brain 
and you use your brain, literally you use your brain. Very, very, um, very strong statement, but you literally mm. use your brain to make sense of what you're hearing. And so you use your mind to use your brain to make sense of what you're hearing. So you, you're always thinking, feeling, and choosing to make sense of what you're hearing. And that pushes an energy wave through your brain and your brain responds electrically, chemically, electromagnetically on a genetic level. And what you end up doing is building little, making little proteins because of genetics, genetics, uh, when your genes get switched on them make proteins and those proteins cluster together to make little branches and those branches have, are made of all these little supercomputers millions of them and the little supercomputers hold the vibrations of the, of the information you're hearing so you're literally taking the words that i'm saying processing them through mind think feel choose and they land up being a physical structural change in your brain as little tiny protein computers vibrating in little tiny protein computers and that's the neuroplasticity of the brain the brain is able to change all the time so the brain is never the same from moment to moment you are always thinking feeling and choosing during the day you think feel and choose to build these these thoughts into your brain and at night time you sort you think feel and choose to sort out the thoughts that you built during the day so what i'm essentially saying mark is that with your mind you build thoughts and thoughts are physical structures in your brain. So with your mind, you build matter. And it really does matter what you build because mm -hmm. your brain is wired to build healthy thoughts, just the nature of there aren't circuits for fear and anxiety and trauma and all these terrible things that we can experience and confusion and uncertainty. Those are, um, when we experience those emotions, it's telling us that there's something that we built into the brain that's influencing how our body is functioning and it's not good it's it's making us feel uncomfortable it's making us feel that something's not right so thoughts are real thoughts are real things and if you visualize a thought as being something you build it's a structure in your brain if you visualize it as looking like a tree so we all know what a tree looks like and maybe think of a big oak tree or something with lots of branches that's very very much what a memory looks like in the brain and it's, so it's all these branches so if you think of one oak tree that's a thought I think of that oak tree has got lots of branches. So all the branches are the the informational memories. So, so inside the tree are the memories and there's different types of memories in the tree. And so the branches would represent all the information, or memories, informational memories, and the leaves, let's say, on the branches would be the emotional memories. So mm. every thought is jam-packed full of informational memories and emotional memories and then that little tree in your brain that you've built and that keeps changing so you're always thinking feeling and choosing so you're always adding branches and building new trees and making big big trees and taking some branches off so you're always doing something that's changing something but that thought then influences every cell of your body and it's very very fast so the thought you build that, that right now the thought that you're building is influencing at speeds that are way faster than the speed of light, at speeds of 20, 10 to the 27, which is an inconceivable speed. It's so fast. It's instantaneous, basically. But your thought you're building now is having an influence on every cell in your body instantaneously. So every single cell, every cell contains your DNA. Every bit of DNA at the moment is being impacted by the thought that you're thinking right now. And you're pushing it in, in either direction. And when you look at it like that, that your thoughts are having that level of impact in your brain and then right down to the level of every cell in your body, 
the DNA of every cell in your body, that shows the power of thoughts. That shows the power of trauma and the power of how, you know, how why we feel trauma in our body, why we feel anxiety, you know, what anxiety is being as a signal, but why we, we, we feel all of that. So that thought in your brain, that tree has got that has the branches. So think of the tree again. That's the thought, the big concept. And mm-hmm. the branches being the information and the leaves being the emotions. That sends that message to your DNA. So that means that in every cell of your body, you also store that memory. Now that's unreal. So you have mm. 75 to 100 trillion cells. So not only do you have the tree in your brain of the thought, but you also have a representation in 70, 75 to 100 trillion representations in your body, which is why we've also always got to consider our body when we do any kind of work psychologically that's a lot i said so you can unpack it (laughs) wow i'm i'm intrigued so if i was thinking let's say i saw someone and i thought oh i haven't dated anyone in a while or i'd like to date that person right like if that thought came up for someone and then that goes into my little branch my tree sorry the tree is the thought i'd like to date that person you grow another branch yeah. And then the branches could be memories of all the times I've dated or been in relationship. And then the leaves could be the pain and the pleasure and all the exactly. things. Exactly. So if there were more painful leaves would then, cause now it creates an emotion and I guess it depends which one I'm most attached to, like which, which leaves I go to most. And then all of a sudden unconsciously or consciously, but likely unconsciously, I will feel a physiological response that might be shut down or pessimism or something that I don't know why I won't pursue them, but there's like a feeling in my body, maybe my throat gets tight or my heart rate goes up. And I don't know why, but I don't like the feeling. So I avoid the thought. Is that? Yes, you've cut you've 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 kind of got it almost perfect. The only thing there is that the um you don't you're I, I'm gonna I and mean, you can describe this to your listeners, but what I'm holding up is a plant, a little green plant. And I'm holding yeah. up a wiry looking tree. Can you see that? Is it coming up in the camera? Yeah, okay. yeah, so I see that. These are so healthy. It's like a bunch so, of rope. That's what the tree yeah, it's is. like. It's actually wiry metal. Tree. It's a, it's a exactly. Oh. It's a metal looking, and it's not a real thought, but it represents thoughts. Look like trees. Thoughts look a lot like what I've got you and, and the plant you have behind you. So one's so, really healthy, and the other one looks like one that toxic. got weathered and died. And exactly, you know, it's toxic, so, but it, yeah. yeah. But it's very much alive. That's the thing. It's you know, it's the Walking Dead. Literally, it's that kind of concept. So I use that to show the analogy that in the brain, when you are have a toxic relationship experience where there's a lot mm-hmm. of pain, you you won't build that in the same tree as they be close to each other. So you can have them like Ooh. side by side, and they and they could be connection. Like the roots could be touching. They could be the roots. You know how roots can grow over each other, and but they're they still not. They still aren't the same tree. They're very close. These are so if I think of that i trigger that so there's a relationship between them but you can never have the toxic inside they're not the the same tree no Mm. but they very they very interrelated so the concept of relationships there'll be healthy relationship and toxic relationship and you've got those two and they're very much intertwined because they in the area of relationship and it's whatever so what will happen very often is you'll maybe start a new relationship and it's like exciting and whatever and you get to a certain point in the relationship and suddenly there's a fear of commitment. And then suddenly now the toxic one starts, is triggered. 
and because it's never mm-hmm. been dealt with. So that toxic one was in what we would call the non-conscious, not even the unconscious. And I'll, I'll define the difference in a moment because that's yeah. very confusing for people. And that's huge in healing is understanding the difference between the different consciousnesses. I'm so excited. My inner nerd is just really <laughs> Your inner nerd is growing there. I know yeah. the sign is amazing. So here we have this this get to this point in the relationship where like you're really connecting but now there's kind of the next step where there's a commitment starting to come and that triggers the toxicity because commitment has got a negative connotation so now it activates from the non-conscious the toxic so here comes a little toxic tree and that's now getting attention and whatever you think about the most will grow and that little toxic and I'm using my fingers to show this is now making a a physical connection with the toxic tree. So now it's drawing my attention. And at this point, I have the choice to either pay attention to this toxicity, the attention to the connection, or I can push it down. If I push it down, that's the worst thing you can do, suppression, because you make it worse. Whatever you don't, whatever you don't deal with, you're just going to, it goes back into the non-conscious mind strengthened. Because in, when you bring something into awareness, it is a very, it's in a very malleable or changeable state. So when a connection is made through a trigger, you bring it into consciousness, you've given it more energy, it's become stronger. So now it's stronger. If I don't deal with it, it's, it's, it's in a malleable state where it's on, in the, in the place of either being destroyed or changed or weakened or re- you know, or it's been in the point of reinforcing. How do I reinforce? By choosing to suppress. Suppression is a reinforcement process. Mm. You just make it stronger. So now I'm sitting where I haven't fixed this and I have this uncomfortable and I'm not thinking of that, but I've got this in a, this now this where my little fingers holding up here is now this inability to commit, and you can't quite work it out, and the relationship maybe goes sour or ends, or and that happens maybe multiple times. So you keep thinking, what's wrong with me? Every time I get to this point, I crash, and mm-hmm. that's where we we actually need to understand that if you bring that if that commitment thing of using that example triggers the toxic thought when we bring it into conscious awareness what we need to be aware of is that that's now weakened it's on the it's weakened it's changeable it will get stronger if i don't deal with it and if we can mm-hmm. get on around that so if i don't deal with it, what does it mean if i don't deal with if i do deal it means i've got to use my mind i've got to think feel and choose about this thought i've got to start looking at it what are the branches what are the reasons why that have I have been triggered for commitment? What happened? What are the emotions? What's the information? What are the emotions? And as you know, in the work that you do, we often tell um, when people are working with mind stuff to separate out the emotion from the information to use distancing tools like I call it the multiple perspective advantage or visualize yourself standing back or you're giving advice to someone. You know, all the, it's all distance. There's many different tools to try to and separate see. yourself. From. To separate the the information from the emotion, and when they kind of pulled apart, it's much easier to then um, assess the information. When the emotions intertwined with it, it's not always that easy. So those psychological techniques um, help to pull it apart and help you to be a bit more in control. But at some point, you've got to reconnect them again when whatever. But you can do those. There's all kinds of tricks and techniques you can do there. But the point is there is that to find what has caused that toxicity. So it's to look at the the origin to look at the cause to look at the i do this because this happened it was my parent you find all the information all the emotions and it's that's your story you also at this point you don't want to just shove that either you don't want to say oh that's the cause and now i must just take a cognitive behavior technique and slap it on and put it yeah now 
Exactly. You can't do that. You can't just, okay, I've got to change that thinking. To tell yourself to change your thinking is not going to work. You're not going to change your thinking. You can try, but you're not going to change your thinking. What you have to do is you have to, you can't just, I mean, you can't just slap one thought on top of another. You can't just say, well, that's a bad thought. I need this thought. You actually need to go through a process of breaking that thought down and redesigning it. And to take so that that story is in your head and you move it over to the healthy tree, but it's been reconceptualized. So it's an embracing processing and reconceptualizing process. So instead of saying, okay, I've got to now all relationships, uh, uh, I can't commit because my parents didn't commit. And then my first relationship, this happened and that person let me down and they had an affair and this and this happened and whatever, whatever. And you track back all, you find all the reasons and you say, okay, now that's the issue. That's wrong thinking. I can commit. I can commit. And then you 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 force yourself to ignore the reasons, but to, to try and shift to I can commit. But I can commit is like trying to apply positive thinking. It's a band-aid to the wound. We have to say, okay, those are the reasons why I can't commit. There's all the history. There's all the emotions. And that's okay. That is my story. I accept that as part of my shaping. It is sad. It's terrible. But that doesn't have to be my future. So let me now not just reframe. Let me now see what can I make. How can I make this work for me? And that's reconceptualizing. It's it's not just a blanket statement, reaffirm or reframe, which is a dangerous technique, actually, just to reframe. Reconceptualizing is I accept my story. I accept that where commitment goes wrong. I don't want to be like that. I really want to commit. So what could I do to to help myself to get into a point of commitment? What is my greatest fear? And really unpacking and building into that relationship, uh, building a new way of dealing. And then in the relationship, it's very important within the relationship to then be very open about that and to communicate and say, okay, I'm trying to redesign this. This is what happened to me. This is where I get scared. These are the triggers for non-commitment for me that make me freak out. And what can I do to counter that and whatever? So that must, then as you go through, let's say you sort this out and you're 32 years married, like I'm 32 years married, there might still be little things that pop up, but you've you that because that's your story, but the sting is gone. So I never want people to take their story away. I want the story to enrich that I could be that's where commitment could go wrong, but I can enrich it like this. Does that make sense? Where you re- you redesign it, you reconceptualize it, but you never eliminate your story. You just change the story into a manageable way. You make it work for you. That's that's the easiest way to understand this. You make it work for you and enrich you and enrich that that level of commitment, which is the example we've been using. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it becomes, yeah, I, mean, I think it does. So it becomes the place that you discover wisdom and expansion and growth and you take responsibility for that story, but you, and you, you turn towards it with grace as exactly. opposed to like, I don't like that part about my story or I don't, cause that, as you were saying, that's the putting it back down and anything you shove back down is, is going to, affect you, I would imagine, on many health perspectives. Oh, absolutely. We can talk about that, yeah. Yes, I would love to talk about that. I think that's the, I mean, that's really the, the, and I'm sorry, and before we go on, the other part that you said about sharing it with the person that you're dating, so they're allowed a window into your physiological response into why you're doing, I love that because that's asking them to be a participant in the story with you, the changing that builds trust. And if they don't want to be, that's okay, you know, because this is about changing our story and not trying to accommodate or fit in a box for someone else. Exactly. And you also, it needs to be your story and it needs to be something that you work on together. And and if someone can't respect your story, you need to then be questioning if that's the right relationship for you. Yeah. So it's very important that because those triggers, when you've experienced a trauma, and this is something that 
I don't know how you feel about this, Mark, but this really worries me in the world of psychology and so much, so many psychological studies, the whole methodology of psychology has been, is being is hugely questioned at the moment. So a lot of what we thought was the right way, those research based on research studies, when they go back and look now, those research, they, they're not replicable. They weren't very well-designed studies and things. So there's a lot of philosophies that we're carrying through that um, are questionable. And so what worries me is, yeah, which is interesting, but what, worry, what, what concerns me about that is that we have these little sort of almost like platitudes and things that we tell people to do, but is that really how it works? And one of the things that's really important in a, in a, in a focus, I know relationships is a huge part of your focus, that's why we're using this example, is the fact that you can't just, um, you can't be doing, changing something to please someone else. You've got to be changing something because you are prepared to go through that process of change and enrich yourself as a person and and be and accept that that's who you are, that that's part of your story. If you try and eliminate something to please another person, to get a relationship working, you will never be happy because you actually never, ever, and this is one of the things with psychology that's a concern, you never, ever get rid of what's happened to you and you shouldn't because memories live forever. The difference with memories is that they can be reconceptualized. So you can have a memory, an unreconceptualized memory is a memory that has a sting. It holds you back. It holds you from moving forward in a relationship or whatever. Whereas a reconceptualized memory still brings a lot of emotion. You may still experience depression. You might have, because a depression is not an illness, it's a signal. But that depression, if you feel that burst of depression, a reconceptualized memory says, oh, why am I feeling depressed? Oh, there's something that this person's done that's triggered that how I used to be. Oh, but I'm not like that anymore. I've actually worked through that. Mm -hmm. And there's a reminder. And oh, actually, that's not the situation. And that takes your relationship to a whole different level. But we mustn't obliterate our past. We must use our past to change our future. Well, I'm curious, you mentioned before about the conscious, unconscious, and non-conscious. Yes, those three things. And we should also talk about the effect on our body. There were two things yeah, that you mean. Yeah, let's start there and then zip over to the body. To the non-conscious stuff. Okay. Like the body. Okay. So first of all, we talk a lot about the unconscious. Where do you the, want to start? We, we can start there. No, it's good. It's good there because it relates... Yeah, we can do that. It makes more sense actually to start with the conscious stuff. Mind okay. is the mind is divided into the conscious mind, which is logical. That's what you, we're using now. Your conscious mind's awake when you're awake. That's a simple one to understand. The conscious mind's quite slow, and slow in that we can only deal with around about a, a limited amount of. We have a lot of thoughts in a day, and there's a lot of debates around the number. The number's not important. We have lots of thoughts moving up and down, but it is in around about you know. If, three or four or five will move up and then they'll move down and then they move up and down. So we constantly have thought trees with a lot of memories moving in and out of consciousness because we're in life, which is stimulating. So the stimulations of life stimulate us. So lots of trees move up. And with a tree, remember trees have got branches, which are memories. So when you think about something, when something's stimulated, it brings with it a lot of other information. And that's where we sometimes think, oh my gosh, my head's so full. It is full, but it's a thought, it's a concept with lots of little pieces in the concept, lots of little memories in the concept. So our conscious mind can deal with about four to five, maybe seven trees at a time. And that's what they've always called short-term memory. Um, and that's it's a very real concept. What they, what's been misunderstood is long-term memory. 
Um, but so short-term memories is bursts that we have moving up and down. Okay, so the, think of once again, think of trees moving up and down into the conscious mind, and they thought it isn't just one thing; it's got all its memories inside. So if you've got a thousand branches on your tree, you've got a thousand memories, information, bits of information with emotions. You could have a thousand mm-hmm. emotions hit you in just that one thought tree, which can feel, you know, crazy. Okay, so that's the conscious. The next level down, which is your subconscious, and the subconscious exactly like it is a submarine, it goes below. Sub, but sub also has the because uh, a submarine can emerge. So sub means that it's between, and so your subconscious mind is that tip of the tongue phenomenon. That's the easiest way to perceive it. That gut feel. That oh, I can feel there's some my heart's palpitating, or something's not right with this discussion, or mm-hmm. that emotion. I'm feeling like edgy or I'm feeling a bit anxious or I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling so all those emotional all the I'm feeling stuff tends to that tends that I am feeling stuff tends to proceed um, is is tending to tell us that there's a subconscious something or another happening so the subconscious is something is something's moving up through so you becoming starting to become aware okay what's below that the non-conscious, N-O-N. And this is the most misunderstood thing in the world. And this is something for 38 years I've been trying to help people understand because it's not the unconscious. U-N, which is spoken about. Unconscious is what happens when you knock someone out with a, you get knocked out by a, a cricket bat or something, and or you get put under anesthesia. That's unconscious. It's a different state that your brain goes into where you have certain parts of your brain that have been shut um, shut off so you're not having sensory experiences. That's unconscious. Non-conscious is all fully fledged and sensory experiences. So the non-conscious is the third level down. So mind has those three. And I'll explain more about the non-conscious. Conscious, subconscious, non-conscious. Unconscious is not a state of mind. Unconscious is a state that the brain is put into through something like anesthesia. So it's mm-hmm. a brain, it's actually a state. It's not a, it's not part of the mind. So the non-conscious level is the biggest part of the mind and it's the fastest part. It's incredibly huge and infinite and always awake. It's awake 24-7. And that's where all of our thought trees are. And all of our thought trees hold our belief systems and what we were exposed to as a child or all our nurturing and all our life experiences, all of that's inside these thought trees. And they're all swirling around in this massive, huge, energy-filled, quantum-driven, non-conscious, infinite, who knows how big it is. The estimate of how fast it is is somewhere in the ten, region of 10 to 20 to, to the 27, which is, it never stops. It's dynamic. It's huge. And that makes sense if you just think about it. Like, think of the work that people people do in terms of why am I battling with co- connection in my relationship or commitment? They go back and they dig. And they're digging where? They're digging into the non-conscious. You're teaching people to connect the non-conscious with the conscious mind. And we can see that with neurophysiology. And I can tell you about my clinical trials where we saw really interesting things and so, so your non-conscious mind is where all your memories are, and they, and that's energy. And it's so nice to know that the non-conscious mind never stops working. It's absolutely brilliant. It's filled with wisdom, and it's where you will find your wisdom. That's your that we all instinctively know is inside of us. It's also 
designed to work for you and to help you. So it works on energy. And as we know, energy never is lost. Energy is transferred. So in order for a human to function, we have to have balance. We've all heard of homeostasis in our body and homeostasis in our blood and balance. And you know, there's a lot of talk in yoga about balance and meditation balance. We, we see this in the non-conscious. We need balance. We need energy fields, energy to be balanced. And this is not something weird. Mm -hmm. This is pure physics that I'm talking about. <laughs> energy is real. If you don't like energy, then don't use Zoom. You know, any, everything works on energy. You're, you'd be dead if you didn't have energy. So energy is not some mystical, weird, spiritual thing. Energy is real. So your non-conscious is, all these thoughts have got this energy firing. So if you have a toxic thought, that energy is um, an abnormal energy pattern and it's disruptive. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so you notice like, a difference in trials of like how you measure a toxic thought exactly. versus a... Exactly, yes. Wow. We That's can see cool. it. We can see it on the nun. We can see the Q. We use QEEGs, and the reason we do use QEEGs, and we're going to be doing another massive study next year where we'll use QEEGs and fMRI. But a QEEG looks is a is a quantitative way of looking at the brain waves. And when we talk about the brain waves, you're talking about alpha, theta, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. Most people have heard of alpha. Most people have heard of delta. Delta spoken about a lot with sleep and that kind of stuff. So essentially what we're seeing in terms of energy, we, we can see a toxic thought is this disrupted energy. And it will show up in the brain as um, a pattern of either overactivity or underactivity. Um, but not balance. It's one or the other. And it'll show up in different areas of the brain in different ways, in different waves, because we go up and down. I mean, right now you might be feeling like really triggered by something. And so toxic thoughts come up. So there's a, ma a maybe a massive wave. We'll see a massive wave of what we call high beta. And that causes a lot of fiery red, a red brain. We call it a red brain. And that can, in the next, then you go into a discussion where you talk about it with your therapist or you have a great conversation with your partner and you calm down. And then suddenly that energy can go away and we can pick that. It goes, it balances. It goes back to more of a gray, kind of a gray color. So we, and this is a very simplistic explanation, but essentially we can pick up with the QEEG a toxic thought to impact on the brain at the non-conscious level. And what's fascinating, Mark, is on a conscious level, you might think, okay, I got this under control, you know, this, and you don't want to deal with your stuff. You push it down and you almost kid yourself. We're so good because we're so brilliant as humans. We're really good at kidding ourselves and pretending things aren't okay and training ourselves. We can train ourselves to shove stuff. You know that. I mean, you know that from, from the work that you do. But your non-conscious level always tells the truth. Your non-conscious, mm -hmm. your conscious level, um, we, 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 we literally, we're so brilliant that we can manipulate our conscious level to even convince ourselves I'm not going to deal with something. And this is what trauma work and why therapy and why talking to others and why you don't even need not necessarily just therapy, but any kind of connection is important. So essentially what we want to do is that toxic energy mm -hmm. that we see in the brain as this red firing thing is really unhealthy. So what we want to do is we want to get rid of that. And so the, so the brain automatically our unconscious mind recognizes, hey, that's a problem. I need to transfer this energy or this person is going to explode. And we'll talk about that in a moment, what that looks like. So you get messages shot from your non-conscious through the subconscious to your conscious mind. And when a therapist like yourself or someone is telling someone, hey, listen to yourself, get in touch with your feelings, you know, the whole Thank God across Instagram now there's such a move towards embracing people's emotions and encouraging people to face the pain. For many years it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was, but now there's you know that's the 
people are being told, face the pain. When you do that, you're actually listening to your subconscious, which means that you're opening the door to healing. You're opening the door to pulling up that emotion. I mean, that thought tree with its emotions and information. And as soon as you're aware, you can fix. When it's in the nut conscious mind, it's a driver. When it's in the conscious mind, you can fix it. So you have to be conscious. And this is where neuroscience is beautiful because until a tree, a thought tree is con- made in your conscious awareness, Until that point, you're not empowered to change. But as soon as you're consciously aware, there's a shift in your empowerment. And as soon as you're aware, you have autonomy, ability to control. Mm -hmm. And when we're not told that message enough, and that's what the science that I do is to show people, listen, awareness brings autonomy. With autonomy comes control. What have you got autonomy over? That thought doesn't have to direct your future. That lack of commitment that you experienced in X, Y, and Z, whatever the reasons were, that does not have to dictate your future relationships. You have this power to change. You don't need a medication to numb your brain. That's just going to make it worse. You don't need a label that you're clinically depressed. It doesn't help you at all. What you need is to realize that that depression is a signal from your non-conscious mind. It's trying to rebalance the energy. And then you tune in to that emotional signal, you'll then tune into the, it pulls up the tree and then you can find the information. And if you tune into your body, because remember I also said memories are stored in your body, throughout your body, you can then tune into your body and your body tells you stories. So the tension in your feet, the tension in your palpitations, whatever, will tell you a story too. So I don't know if you want to ask me questions there before I can sh- before I shift into the body impact and what we saw in our clinical trials and stuff. Well, I think it's neat that on a micro level, the ability to differentiate the thought and be able to realize you have choice within that, which then creates autonomy and individuates you, like makes you a person who has an option, a choice. So on a thought level, just by developing that on a, I mean, that although I'm sure that can bring up like, uh, threatening feelings to turn towards, yeah. uh, right? Because it brings up the physiological response. But once you sit through that storm and you just face the thought, exactly. now uh, what I've done on a micro level within my own brain and mind is I can now do with my life from me versus other, you know, because it's, it's like exactly. uh, toxic behavior is is like a toxic thought. So it's like, oh, wait, I have a choice. I don't have to participate anymore. So it, that's so cool that it Exactly. From a micro level, then becomes a macro. Exactly. So, so that's why that's why we tune into those signals, those emotional, physical, and and informational warning signals. And generally, it's the emotional first, and sometimes even the physical will come first. It depends on because your, your your wisdom of your body knows what you can handle. So, generally, the first signal we get is physical, because it's kind of easier to deal with this abstract, not abstract, but this less hard it's emotional stuff is hard to deal with but if we can say oops i'm my whole body's tensing up what's going on that can then help us get stronger to deal with the emotions that then generally come up and then the third thing that normally comes in terms of order the sequence tends to be physical then emotional then informational all inside the tree but that's how our subconscious sends it up and if we learn to pay attention as you say and sit with that and work through it and not have a fear of what that means we've got to helps society as as a collective understand that we don't have to fear these emotions. We've been trained for the last 30 years to fear emotions. 
because of medicalizing of misery. So the whole positivity movement, positive psychology, there's been some great things in positive psychology, but some terrible things. Same thing with the self-help movement, some great things, but okay, you, you and I have discussed this before. The wellness yeah. movement is great, but there's been a lot of negativity. And the biggest thing is that we have been told as a society, as soon as you're uncomfortable, there's something wrong with you. You have a neuropsychiatric brain disease. It's the biggest load of trash out there. It's so toxic. It's absolute nonsense. It's not scientific. And it's been detrimental to society. So what I'm trying to do is show people scientifically, hey, listen, you have a level of control. There is a pathway to empowerment. And, you know, we saw this, Mark, with our most recent clinical trials. And I work with, like, top neuroscientists and neurosurgeons. And I have a great team underneath me. We're expanding that team to include some of the best in the world and um, of these studies that I run. And the this in our most recent one, we saw people within three weeks of giving them mind management. In other words, how to do all this, bring it up, reconceptualize, this embrace process, reconceptualize thing, we saw within three weeks complete change in that depression, anxiety, management, uh-huh. up to 81%, significant. And that's, so when we talk about a study that talks about significance, we're talking about something that is real, that's actually happened, that there's a significant decrease in anxiety and depression by 81% within three weeks. And we saw that physiologically, very short. We saw it sustained at 42 days, sustained even even improving at um, 63 days. And 63 days is the length of time that it takes for habits to form, for automatization. So it takes... Cycles of 21 days, our brain works in these cycles of 21 days. So this work I'm talking about does not happen quickly. It's a nine, at minimum of a nine-week cycle for one thought. And remember, one thought's got tons of information in it. So one thought can have a a million pieces of information, 100,000, 10,000, 50,000, whatever. But it takes, and and that's why sometimes one thought has to be broken down into another few cycles. That's why it's not quick work. There's no quick fix. But if you understand what's happening scientifically, if you understand I'm bringing up a tree and in the first 21 days, I'm actually learning to identify the parts of the tree, the information, the emotions. And as I start dismantling the toxic, that the toxic tree, I'm already immediately rebuilding a healthy tree because energy is not lost, it's transferred. Mm. So as I identify a toxic part of the tree, so here's a toxic branch, there's my parents breaking up and my mother getting married 20 times, or oh, I'm just making up something. Um, that, But the pain of that, something like that, Elizabeth Taylor's children, I should just have said something like that, but I mean, I'm just, whatever. Okay, so you've got, you have- It's a good that, example. It's, there'd exactly. be a lot of- be a lot of things going on with that type of exactly topic. a lot of things going on whatever it may be whatever examples you've had in your nurturing and that comes up you are it as soon as you're aware it's weakened so as soon as it's weakened you now have this incredible power to say okay that is sore i'm crying it's really hurting me i feel terrible but if i push through that and recognize that that's not me that's not my value. That's not my future. What do I want my future to look like? I really want to have a decent relationship. So now, how do I get there? That discussion I've just had, that embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing, that who, what, when, where, how, and not getting stuck in the why. You've got to do the whys, but you've got to move from the whys to the what and the how and so that you keep moving forward. As you do that, this energy from the toxic tree is now shifted over to the positive. So we grab it 
and we redesign it. And as soon as you do that, you get a transference of energy. So in your brain, you're now building a green tree next to the wiry, ugly looking toxic tree. And it's a work that's being done. And it takes 21 days to do that major shift. And then after 21 days, you've done the major shift. So you haven't eliminated your story, but you've done the major shift. And then for the next two cycles of 21 days, which is another 42 days, it's going to take you that much time to actually stabilize that. So what think of a tree when you first plant a seed in the ground. It takes, you know, you've got to water it and it takes time, whatever. That's what you're doing here. It takes 21 days to plant and grow, but it takes another 42 days to grow, to keep adding water, to get it into a full-blown plant. And only then, only when you've done the work at least at nine weeks point, do you start seeing the shift in people's functioning, um, total, because their behavioral change, wow. mass, massive behavior. And most people give up at day four. So their patterns are now starting to get ingrained. Their neuroplasticity has occurred. They have new neural pathways. The, the toxic tree is observed but not chosen anymore. Oh, that's the toxic tree. I have this other beautiful, fresh blossoming tree. Let's exactly. feed that. Exactly. You can start mm. recognizing. And you'll always remember, okay, I was like that, but now I'm like this. And the more I, now I'm like this, the more I practice now I'm like this, the less power, eventually you remove the power from that toxic tree. That it's just a, me- it's literally then gets absorbed into the new healthy tree as a memory, a positive thing, where you've now made the negative become a positive because that's mm. how you were. You're not like you've that recoded anymore. recoded it. Yeah. You've the recoded, new totally recoded. You have, you've, you've totally recoded. It gets a different code, exactly that, in a com- literally in a vibrational code that is now positive. And then now that's what comes becomes the core of this new tree that keeps you focused in the right direction. But most people mark give up at day four. You know, that's yeah. kind of around day four. Because people want instant, oh, it didn't work. I didn't, exactly. I read the secret. It's supposed to just happen. And it's like, you know, that that we have to stop having this expectation that we're able, one, this thought that we're broken, and two, that we should just be able to change on a dime. We could change our behaviors, but the underlying thoughts, emotions, and choices that come from in pattern, also because we observe them, I'd be interested in, because I was thinking, you know, like, I know that the inherited idea that you inherit anxiety or you inherit depression, right, that, that it's genetic. And I'm like, no, that, from my understanding, that's been disproven a long time ago that, mm-hmm. that you don't inherit the chemical imbalance. You might inherit the behaviors that create that type of um, mentality or those types of um, experiences. But I'd be interested to know your Yeah, that's really good. It. I'm glad you brought that up because basically um, what happens is that you don't, anxiety, we've got to stop thinking of anxiety and depression, for example, as it's like they're not an it, they're not an illness. The, the chemical imbalance is a complete myth. It's not even a scientific fact. It's it's an absolute nonsense. Gosh, it's such a myth. Like it's, it's perpetuated. Is that due to Get pharma to it, that it's just been perpetuated? And pretty much pretty much marketing pharma. It's been a very successful marketing strategy. But really? even like if you, if you challenge like someone like Ronald Pease, who P I E S, who is one of the he's like sort of the leader of the very traditional psychiatrist in the APA, American Psychiatric Association. He, if you challenge him about that, and he believes in drugs, and I mean, I don't like him at all. I don't like what he believes in, but he will say, we've well, never actually said that there was a chemical imbalance. So even the top psychiatrists and the universities, anyone, anyone who considers himself a decent scientist or medical professional will not say there is a chemical imbalance. If people say it, it's because they, they are not educated in the science. Because they got and the they, Or they've just, 
Exactly. They've been caught up in the marketing. It's not at all sound. You cannot have a chemical imbalance. It's just a what we can have is uh, that there's not even a way of measuring that. What we can have is a disruption of hormones, but that's not a chemical imbalance. You don't have too little serotonin, therefore you have depression. There's no logic or science behind that at all. What can happen and what we saw happening in our studies is that when people are very depressed, for example, because they haven't dealt with whatever, because or depressed because they like, COVID can make you depressed. You have a reason to be depressed. I mean, if you've lost your job and you're exactly and and anxiety. In fact, I always tell people anxiety and depression. These are good things because they're telling you something. Don't be scared of them. Show you that your body works. That exactly your emotions work. Exactly. We perpetuated this message that people are broken if they have negative emotion. I'm like, it's not even negative emotion. It's just information. It might be uncomfortable emotion. Exactly. They're not broken at all. No, they're just being human. It's like this broken thing must go away. You know, it's yes, we can, someone can be, if they repeatedly abused and everything, obviously you can break a person's identity. Um, in that respect, it's you, it's correct to use the word broken. But to say that if you have a negative emotion, you're broken, it's not. It's a symptom of something that's going on. So someone can, you know, so it's, 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 it's important we distinguish that. But mm-hmm. we see, like Mark, what I saw in, in my research is, like, for example, if you are not dealing with your stuff and totally depressed and going through whatever, all these things, whatever it may be, you will have a response in your body. And I want to talk about this because people, the chemical, when people talk about the chemical imbalance, they're talking specifically about serotonin or dopamine. And they're saying if you've got schizophrenia, you've got too little or too much dopamine, depending on which study you look at. And if it's serotonin, you've got too too little. And I mean, it's all a lot of nonsense and none of that science is even accurate science if you go and pull the studies apart. What, what, what does happen is that because your mind works through your brain and your body, Obviously, you, you know, you express yourself. That's why there's this inseparable relationship. You will, if you're toxic and you've got those toxic vibrations, you will send a message to your DNA and that your DNA um, in your cells do respond. Your blood chemistry does respond and cells make up systems. So if you've got your brain, think of it like this, a toxic thought, sending a message to all 75 to 100 trillion cells, a whole bunch of those cells make up your heart. Another bunch of cells make up your immune system. Another bunch of cells, in other words, all the cells cluster together to make you. So if if there's a damaged DNA message from a toxic thought in your heart, obviously your heart is going to be at risk for cardiovascular issues. If your endocrine system, which makes up another, is made up of another bunch of cells, have a lot of negative mess, negative. Um, uh, energy, which affects how the proteins work and how the how the whole system works, then obviously your hormones get disrupted. So mm-hmm. we see logical effects. So for example, if someone is very depressed, we can see an increase in, for example, prolactin, which is a hormone which becomes very unbalanced when people are in stuffed down when people have suppressed toxic emotions prolactin people think oh that's breastfeeding woman no men and women all have prolactin you have it your whole life it increases with breastfeeding but every male and a female all have prolactin and prolactin is becoming very a very strong area of research because it's very directly it tells us a story about what's going on in the non-conscious mind what's really going on in your head and so when people are saying oh i'm fine and prolactin levels are rising and we see these patterns in the brain and we actually you know there's a lot of depression and so on, they're not actually fine. What we are seeing is an increase in prolactin. And once we give people mind management, the prolactin decreases. So there we see a response. When people are stressed out, we will see low-grade inflammation across the whole body. How do we Mm -hmm. pick that up? Homocysteine levels increase. So there's an imbalance, but it's not serotonin causing depression. 
It is uh, your the, the, depre- the depression is a signal of an underlying issue, and you're processing it through your brain. So your brain doesn't know what to do with all this negative energy. So a message goes down to your hypothalamus and all these different parts and your endocrine system goes crazy and your and your um, cortisol levels start rising and your hormone your homocysteine levels start rising so instead of them being in the right uh, where they should be the right numbers they increase and there's an imbalance but once we get control again then that changes so homocysteine for example is a good measure of low-grade inflammation and there's a lot of studies showing that when people don't manage toxic issues or when people don't deal with their stuff you're going to get low-grade inflammation across the whole brain and body. And that's and then you can pick that up with various different measures, but homocysteine is a pretty good example. And if you don't control for that, you're at high risk for cardiovascular issues. So you could have a heart attack, you could have um, you could have a stroke, you could have um, you're setting yourself up for dementias, but you can change that. And that's what I showed with my clinical trial. Over 38 years, I've developed techniques that are based on how a thought forms in the brain, all that stuff I said at the beginning. How do we control that process? How do we bring something up and change it and rewire it and whatever? And I developed a five-step process. And that's what we what we um, tested in my early years of research. And as the years have gone by, as I've done more research, I've developed it more and more research. And our most recent clinical trial is the most recent iteration of this process, which is totally mm-hmm neuroscience but mind brain connection and so what we found with our our, our experimental subjects is we had people that came in that were like really bad like they'd done that so depressed they weren't sleeping non-functioning non-functional um like relationship issues just like all across the board so we looked at their narrative we didn't just do psychological measures we didn't just do questionnaires we did um very intensive um narrative intervention we we asked them what's your story yeah, what's what's your story? What's going on? What's your story? Plus, then I've developed a tool that helps to look at what's going on in your terms of your ability to self-regulate and your thinking about your thinking and whatever. So, we got people in the study that were really had had heavy stuff going on in their life, heavy, heavy stuff, and we did all of this double-blind, random, controlled, fancy stuff. So, people were then put into two groups: experimental and control. And we looked at that comparison, and we also, but we also looked at what we call single subject design, which means we also looked at the individual and how the individual story, which is more important. So the individual measured against themselves, as opposed to just being measured against a normal, a normative data group. So just like the average person, you can do that, but it only gives you a bird's eye view. We've got to really look deep inside the individual to see the individual story, uh, individual case study. Overarching, what we found though is if we go from the big bird's eye view is those subjects that were in that were in experimental group they got this this five-step process that i've called that was basically called the five steps switch on your brain process but it's in an app called switch we'll send you the link and you can yep. get that on google so it's in an app form now we've made it into an app form switch but, like you know, that. Yeah, called switch so switch your switch your mind and it's been nine clinical trials for a while now but it's based on 38 years of research so it's 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 this is not the first trial it's been trialed for many many years over in different circumstances so that's where we gave them the switch app so they didn't get therapy from me they didn't get they didn't even meet me because it's double blind they couldn't meet i I wasn't i wasn't even allowed to be there i had to have my team on site and the other group that was blinded as well what was their intervention okay so they they got no intervention so the okay so they're double okay so that's what double blind means that I didn't know who was in the experimental group myself oh, and my yeah. team, and um, the 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 subjects didn't know whether they were in the experimental control. 
So they, they didn't don't know, know if so the we, other group got an app or didn't. Yes, no one knew exactly. Yeah, no one knew yeah. exactly what they were going to get. So only the ex- experimental, obviously, they were called separately, and they were obviously given the app. But the control group didn't know that they weren't getting what the other person was getting. So that's what we call double blind. So that no yeah. one knew what was going on until, and the results were all handled. It's sort of the whole very, very technical, very controlled. The point is that the experimental group got the app. They got mind management. They were they were tra- through the app. They were trained in how to bring up that thought, pr- get sit with the fear, sit with the uncomfortable, dig apart the branches, find the information, find the emotions, respond to the physical warning signals, and embrace process and reconceptualize through five steps daily. And that worked for about thirty minutes a day. And then we we did um, we looked at at different time points. We looked at day one where they hadn't got anything. We looked at, at day seven, day 14, day 21, day 42. We looked at a lot of different time points. And did so we looked at psychological, we looked at blood, homocysteine levels. We looked at their DNA, which I must tell you about now, which is fascinating. Their blood, hormones. We looked even, and we looked inside the brain, what was happening inside the brain at these different time points. And the control group went significantly, the, the the anxiety and depression reduced by 81%. That's the over, I mean, there's a thousand different things, but that was the most, like, there was also a significant change in cortisol and homocysteine. Um, and cortisol, yes. yeah, it's significant change. So as they manage their mind, they, their cortisol levels stabilized and normalized, and so did the homocysteine. What we also saw when you looked at the DNA is we looked at the chromosomes and chromosomes are the little X's and the X, the chromosome has the little X, if you visualize an X wearing socks. So just imagine a little X and these little caps on the end or socks. And those are called telomeres. And telomeres yeah. are very, very significant biological markers of stress. And what that means is that we can look at if a person's not managing toxic stress, if they're not managing their mind, if they're not dealing with their past traumas, if they're not dealing with day-to-day stuff, if they're living a lifestyle of just chaos, a mental mess, it'll affect the telomeres, the length of the telomeres. And so the shorter they are, the worse your cellular health, the worse your biological health, the worse your, it tells us the shorter they are, the more stressed you are, the more toxically stressed you are. Yeah, the telomere length is associated to the repetitive ability for your body to repair, right? And replicate cells. Exactly. So cells, you you replace your cells 810,000 more or less every second, okay? So we're building 810 cells. The telomeres enable us to do that. So they're little sequences at the ends of the chromosomes and they, they are able, they 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 are used to for the cell to replace itself. So they get used up and then they get rebuilt. But you want them rebuilt at the same level of strength because you're going to use you you want strength to rebuild the cell. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. So yeah. if your telomeres are aren't strong and if they start getting weak and weak and shortening, it's like a shoelace that phrase. The ends of the shoelace, the little plastic thing that you weave through your running shoes. If that thing pops off and it's this frayed shoelace, it's really hard to get that through the little hole. The telomere is like that little plastic on the end of the shoelace. So if that thing if you are not managing your mind and managing your your toxic stress and dealing with trauma, that shoelace mm-hmm pops off or get shorter, short, short, eventually it's not there anymore. And so we found that we found a significant shortening of what? the telomeres within nine weeks. Now, normally at the pattern is five years, but there's a Nobel Prize. So hold on, the telomeres got longer or shorter? Shorter. So we saw within within three weeks, we saw changes. Within nine weeks, we saw the, in the control group, the people that had no mind management, the oh, telomeres okay, yeah. were shorter. Shorter. Yes. So the ones who didn't okay. have help, their telomeres got significantly shorter. 
And in fact, what happens is if your telomeres get shorter, we talk about that being your biological age, the, uh, the health of your yeah. cells. And we saw in some of our control group that their biological age was 20 years older than the actual chronological age. So like a 32-year-old, wow. their body was, they were 32, but their body was like a 52-year-old or a 57-year-old or a 65-year-old. So they had an older body. Their cells were aging. And we saw that reverse. We reversed our control group, our experimental group. We reversed that. We had a significant increase in length. So That's they incredible. And in nine weeks, I mean, yeah, which it people, is incredible. Like I hope people listening know the immense impact of that. Like I remember reading a study about kids who were from foster care had significantly shorter telomeres. So, you know, it's a... Significantly. Yeah, and, and that just shows you how much like attachment connection. But what I love about your oh work is that it says you're not your biology. Like you're no, not your destiny. You can change it. You can change yes. it. And that gives so much hope. I hope if you're listening and you're like, I got some stuff. Don't worry. We all do. And we can all lengthen our telomeres. This should be a telomere lengthening party. I feel exactly. like. Exactly. I love it. Telomere lengthening party. I mean, it's seriously, <laughs> is those things need to lengthen. And, and it's all related. Everything's interrelated. as you So correlated to health telomere. outcomes. Totally. Totally. And the way that they've addressed telomeres, it's a very new area of research, is that they've always thought it's got to be through like a lot of vitamin B12, you know, supplements and diet. And that's huge. Supplements and diets are huge. But the leading mm -hmm. researcher in this field is a Dr. Lisa Apple, and she's in San Francisco and she showed that in and I'm so excited because she showed that you can actually change telomere length in shorter periods of time but she's the first one to show that because normally it changes in five years now my research is showing the same thing that you can actually change telomere length in as short as nine weeks and even shorter incredible which is incredible and that's so hopeful it's an act because it's so visual and in your brain as well, we saw these people with literally what we call a blue brain, that, that some of the subjects were so depressed that their brain, a blue brain means that there's like seriously low energy, which means that mm -hmm. the, the, um, the energy that keeps you online and focused and able to build memories and able, able to really just get through the day and deal with life. If that drops too low, your brain can't work properly. Your cells can't replicate properly. Everything just doesn't work properly, which is why people get so sick when they get depressed. And that's why depression is such a, it's so real. It's not an illness, but it causes a physical response. Mm -hmm. Because depression, we've got to always remember, depression is a response to something that's going on. So we have to fix the depression, not with a drug, and a label, but we have to find out why you're depressed. Otherwise, you don't address on, yeah. the issue. Exactly. Otherwise, you the just drug take will... a pill and you numb your environment. You're numb yeah, your environment. That's depressing. Exactly. You numb your environment, and then also the telomeres will keep shortening because the drugs will also shorten the telomeres because antidepressants wow. also shorten telomeres. So it's not so you, you you're compounding the problem. You're not dealing with the problem. You're compounding the problem and making it worse. But you can change that. That's the power of the pathway to empowerment. I mean, that's why I go to this detail of helping people see the physiological response because that blows your mind when you know, hey, I can grow my telomeres. I can drop my homocysteine levels from 63, which is literally you're going to have a heart attack, down to 9 or 15, which is the number you want to have for for health, depending on each whether you're male, female, whatever. I mean, you can do that. We saw those kind of changes happening in as short as 21 days, 42 days, 63 days, and sustained at six months. You know, so it's, yes. and the ones that didn't get the mind management, this is so interesting, Mark, all the, the evaluations that are designed to be able to look at the mind, the body, and the brain, all the different measures, including the narrative, the control group did all of those. 
So they were made very aware of their mind, what's going on in their mind, but they didn't have any tools to manage it. So they just went about their life as per normal. They just thought the research was just all these tests. And because all this evaluation and talking and narratives and whatever and writing things down brings things, you know, if you write things down, you mm. write things. there. So if you just create awareness, but you don't give mind management, you get worse. And that's what we found with these, with, these, with our subjects. And I, I mean, I felt so bad because really they got bad. The, the significant, the telomere shortened, they got biologically older in the experimental group, the control group that didn't get the mind management. The, um, the homocysteine levels were terrible. The cortisol levels were terrible. They really, they were getting worse and worse and worse. We even had one that dropped out of the study. We gave them as soon as the study was finished because we didn't even expect such dramatic changes. It was so quick and so dramatic. Obviously, as soon as the study was over, we gave the control group all got the access to the app. So they and they were also relieved, and you know they've mm-hmm. been using it and they're healing again because you can change your mind, you can change your brain. But what was very interesting was to see how quick and how we've got to be so careful. And this is another thing that in psychology and even in the mindfulness movement, I am all for meditation. I'm all for mindfulness. I teach it. It's part of the preparation that you do, but you can't. I call it preparation. If you make someone aware but you don't actually give them a tool to manage what they're now aware of. You have mm. a problem. That person's going to crash. And that's happening. There's a lot of studies that the public don't hear about that are showing that meditation in that moment will totally change your cortisol levels. You'll be much better. You'll be able to cope. But if you don't have something, now you're aware of it. If you, Especially if you're doing mindfulness work where you are really getting quiet and things start moving up. For So mindfulness meditation or um techniques like um, cognitive behavior therapy techniques sometimes some of them pull things up but if you don't give a technique to pull it apart and rebuild it you are going to get worse you can't just have awareness without so the techniques that i've developed are beyond mindfulness breathing meditation all part of it you have to do that because you have to prepare your brain and the sympathetic and nervous parasympathetic nervous system but you have to go beyond mindfulness and hand in hand with what i teach is working with therapists we strongly encourage people to get with you know if you can afford a therapist one-on-one fantastic i mean there's so many options you've got better health you've got so many different options but mm-hmm. or a loved one if sometimes there's a great community or whatever but you you need someone you can talk to as well so what i have developed is a technique for helping bring the stuff up going beyond mindfulness and how can you manage your day-to-day moments between talking to someone between seeing the therapist between because you're not going to see your therapist 24 7 you're not going to talk to someone 24 7 you're going to also have to kind of that person you can't just expect your partner to listen to you 24 7 you also have to go to work go to school exactly so what do you do in the in-between moments and that's what i my work focuses on a lot how do i manage my mind now i've got to go to work i've got to do this i've got to do that i've got to go home to a difficult partner how do i prepare etc etc so it's it's that's the space that i fill. wow that is so incredible i'm I'm really excited of what's possible for people listening. Also, just the because I'd been since I read that study about the foster kids, I thought, oh, well, I wonder if you taught. I wrote the researcher, but they didn't write me back. But I wrote them and said, hey, I'm really curious if you did an intervention where you actually created secure attachments for these people or you know, now knowing that they create secure attachments with themselves through the app. Uh, through switch that you can lengthen telomeres because I thought, gosh, it can't be just a life sentence that your telomeres all of a sudden become short. You know, no. it, there's got to be a way. And, and I'm sure it's, it. 
Yep, they're reversible. They respond to intervention, which is just the most amazing thing. Yes, it shows you like our biology can switch. We can change our lives. We can change our physiology. We can face the things that affect, you know, the um, the reasons we have unhealthy relationships with anything. Exactly. And, so right? it's, it's so helpful. In fact, we're going to be doing a study. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you, Mark. You were no, saying something. We have no, got a please. plan because I'm developing a quite a big team of researchers. You should get involved, actually. That, and we want to. We're going to be looking at different things. And one of the things is to look at um, childhood trauma and attachment styles, and you know, because it's, 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 it's such a nicely defined area, and looking at that and in, in the impact and how to change that, and whatever. So we will be doing taking this model oh, that I've created now God. and applying it on a multiplicity of levels and with vets and with whatever, but we're doing it independent of pharmaceutical companies. So, you know, private funding and that kind of stuff, because then there's no control. We can actually do the proper research the way it should be done because universities, unfortunately, universities, their hands are very often tied by funding and you've got to, you know, the, 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 fun, the research is very determined and pharmaceutical companies, they just want you to make a drug. So we chosen to do this very independently so that we can bring pure research out onto the table. That's great. I mean, I used to be a pharmaceutical rep, so I have a vast <laughs> understanding of the oh, other what side. I'm saying. Oh. Yeah, you know, where and that's why whenever I hear any uh science being quoted in the news and and obviously there's lots of that being shared with COVID, I always follow like where to come from is it because there's lots of other information you don't get. That yeah, is actually really right. incredibly important. That's not politically, you know, part of political agendas. And for me, that's it's it's important that people know that often the opinions they hear are influenced by grants. And so glad you said that. And so glad that yeah, people people aren't aware of it. It's so good you said that. Yeah, and that's amazing. Well, well that's I'm so grateful that you came on today. I'm sure people listening are so grateful that they they got uh, um, bathed in your wisdom. Of science. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such, I mean, they, I, everyone's inner nerd is so excited, but also uh, hopeful. And I, I really, um, I'm really grateful for that. So uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, where do people find you? Easy to find me. Dr. Caroline Leaf is my, my Instagram handle, all my social media platform. Dr. Leaf is my webpage. And then I've got the Switch app you can get on iTunes, Google. And what I've also, I've just, that. My, my 18th book that I just handed me, it's already on pre-order. So people can already so, pre-order my, and this clinical trial, it's in the book. I've summarized it. It's very simple. And the, all the techniques I used are now in book form. So that book is, it's called Cleaning yes. Up the Mental Mess. So the book's called Cleaning, Cleaning Up, the, up Men the, Mental the Mental Mess. And it's available Perfect. around the world on pre-order at the moment. It's only released in spring next year. But um, it's available on pre-order and there's going to be amazing workshops and things to help people get a handle on this stuff so so oh, switch app they can they can access the switch app immediately and learn and do the technique so the technique everything i've spoken about today that mind management's in the switch app and then the book cleaning up your mental mess they can pre-order and then you'll have the book version to supp supplement the app but at least they can do the app immediately that's available incredible well thank I you can so see much for all your those time. Things, so. I will put them all in the show notes so everyone can grab them. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom and your life's work. Just incredible. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Always enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much. 